But I'm excited to be with you today. I just, you know, one of the things that COVID's uh, done even in terms of uh, what we're doing in our campuses is that Pastor Jane and I uh, are kind of moving out of being stuck in one campus and starting to travel to all our campuses. We're also excited about the fact that uh, we announced this on Tuesday night that after you know a lot of prayer and and, uh, and tenacity, I've got to say to you, and I'm talking about tenacity today, um, we've we start our Alpharetta campus um, Sunday services and Sunday afternoon service is going to be the first stage next month. So January 17 uh, at the phase building down there at Alpharetta. God's given us incredible favour. It's taken, I tell you what, it's taken a lot of faith and it's taken a lot of tenacity. And there is even more good news to share with you in, in time to come. But that campus is now going to be uh, running uh, Sunday afternoon service, 4.30pm and, and, uh, and I'm going to be the campus pastor for a little while. So I'm really excited about that and uh, so it's a Sunday afternoon so when you're finished here and, and you feel like popping in, jo- might join us. We're going to have the whole building to ourselves, we're going to have lots of fun, we're going to be phenomenal and I'm very, very excited. You know, um, you know there are, I, I don't know if you've had this kind of experience but in, in my life... Um, I've had my house broken into a number of times um, and I've had my cars broken in a number of times and, and I remember uh, a couple of, you know, there's, there's, there's some times where people have broken in and stolen stuff uh, that uh, you, know, you, don't, you don't remember that much. And there are other times uh, where they've broken in and it's very memorable because of what happened in the exchange uh, when we found them. And so uh, one of them was when... Uh, I'd gone out, it was a Saturday evening, I'd gone out, Pastor Jane was home by herself, she was having her parents come over uh, for dinner and uh, so she heard this noise and went to the laundry where she heard the noise, it's just this little house uh, in, in, this, in this suburb in Adelaide and, and uh, as she opened the door she was shocked to come you know, about three feet from a, a robber who was trying to get out our back door of our laundry uh, and uh, was had our had our stereo in his bag, had gloves on, and and was trying to get out the back door. But it was one of those rooms where you know you need to be able to jiggle the lock, and you need to you have to live there to be able to work that lock out. And so he couldn't get out. And so you know there are two you know two responses in life. There is the fight response. There's the flight response. You know I'm a flight first, fight second. She's a fight first, flight second. You know, and uh, so. She's the tough one, I'm the worst. So anyway, I was out and she finds this guy. So instead of going, ah, like most people do, she goes, Oi, what are you doing in my house? You know, she yells at him. And uh, of course, he's so shocked that this woman's yelling at him that he, he, he starts coming up with excuses. I, I saw someone break into your house and I came in after them to find them. She goes, rubbish. She says, get out of my house. And as he, as he kind of walks past her in the doorway, you know, kind of go through the doorway, she goes, she notices our screwdriver. True story, screwdriver in the back pocket. She goes, Oi, that's my screwdriver too. And she yanks it out of his back pocket. Right? Now she has the weapon. And uh, then at that moment, uh, down the passageway, her parents arrive and they help themselves. They walk in through the front door. Her da- you know, Jane's dad's a, you know, he's an old guy now, but he was in the SAS. He was a British paratrooper. And. Uh, so he's, you know, tall guy, about 6'2", six 6'3", six so he's standing at the door thinking it's one of our young people, you know, part of our youth group, and uh, she's about to let him go out with all our gear. And Jane's mum's like her, and Jane's at one end of the corridor, and, and Margaret's at the other end of the corridor, and Margaret sees the look on Jane's face, sees this young man coming, she goes, and young man, who are you? And like that kind of phrase, right? Well, then, you know, the retired paratrooper, oh, I've got to do something, so... He then wrestles this guy to the floor. No, no lie, wrestles to the floor, sits on this guy, makes a citizen's arrest. And then we call the cops, or Margaret calls the cops, or Jane does, and uh, literally they have him apprehended until the cops arrive. And this guy had done three armed hold-ups in the three weeks beforehand. So he's, we didn't know that at the time, of course. We may not have dealt with the situation the same way. Um, so while uh, Cliff is his name, my father-in-law is sitting on him uh, and hold, restraining him. Margaret is preaching at him. 
And Margaret's saying, young man, you need Jesus. Jesus doesn't like people who rob houses. Right? He likes the people. He doesn't like you robbing. So anyway, she basically witnesses to him and preaches at him for the 20 minutes it takes for the cops to get to our house. And he ended up getting saved some time later. Can you believe that? He ended up finding Christ. And uh, then I found out many, uh, some time later that he was, when I was at high school, he was in the same high school. He was two years younger than me. He was in the same high school. And uh, he, you know, I'd become a pastor and he had turned to crime. So <laughs> it was interesting, uh, interesting scenario. So I want to talk to you today about the things that steal from us our faith. Of all the things that you could possess, whether it's your home or your car, uh, family, the thing that's the most valuable that you and I have is faith. Now, we've d- diminished, diluted faith to being a, a word that we use for so many things that aren't really faith. We use it to describe someone's belief systems. If they believe hugging trees is a good thing, well, that's their f- they're a person of faith. If we believe uh, in uh, reincarnation, they're a person of faith. But that's not what the kind of faith the Bible talks about. It's not to describe a, a, a belief system it's to der- or a religion. It's to describe supernatural power that comes from God when he deposits his confidence inside of you. That's the faith we want to talk, to talk about today. And there are faith stealers that steal our faith and there are things that heal our faith. And so I want to take you through that and then I want to talk to you about how do you know you're full of faith? How do you know if you're lacking faith? And I promise you we'll have a lot of fun as we share uh, those thoughts. So let's talk about some faith stealers because faith is not a static thing. It's not like a chair. I get given a chair and it, it's just there. You know, I, every time I want to sit on the chair, the chair is there. The chair is an object. It's static. It's, it's in that world. But faith is not static. It's not an object. Faith is an organism that either grows or diminishes, either gets stronger or weaker. It's like a muscle. It either it grows and it either gets strong or it can be weak and it can atrophy. It's not static. It's never the same one week to another because every week things are stealing faith and if I'm diligent, things are healing my faith. And the question is, and this is how I know it's true, how many people know somebody that was once rich in faith, strong in faith, powerful in faith, but today is bankrupt in their faith? Come on, put up your hand if you know somebody. We all know somebody, right? Otherwise, you don't get out much. Here's the point, right? We, we, our faith can grow. It can diminish. Our, we can be rich, as James says. He, James says in James chapter 2, says, God has ordained that those that are poor of this world would be rich in faith. What's he saying? He's saying that God has a mechanism to measure your faith. Jesus said it this way, O ye of little faith, Oh, great is your faith. Jesus was measuring faith. God cares about the state of our faith, right? Why? Because without faith, we can't please God. Without faith, we can't break through into the miraculous. Without faith, our hearts are not full, even though our houses might be full. Without faith, we can't see a change in our children. Without faith, we can't see a change in our workplace other than ones that I've managed. I can't see a supernatural move of God without faith, because faith is God's currency. God's currency on that is given to us so that we can trade not just in the natural world but we can bring heaven to earth and we can bring all of God's richness to our world that's desperately in, in need of peace, joy and the power and the purpose of God and the only way they can get it is through faith. So I know we've heard lots of sermons about faith but I want to take you down a slightly different path uh, as we talk about faith. So what are some faith stealers? Because it's not static, if I'm not careful, my faith is eroding or being stolen. So what are some faith stealers? Number one, negative thoughts. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 
he says, take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. What's the knowledge of Christ? Well, if I know Jesus like I'm supposed to know him, then I know that I'm under grace. I'm under his favour, that he loves me no matter what's happened. He's for me, that all things are literally working together for my good. And every delay is God adding greater things to the prayer and to the promise that he's made is not taking away. So the knowledge of Jesus is profound. He says, take captive every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of Jesus. So negative thoughts, for a lot of people, are a faith stealer. Number two, a negative environment. When I was here about a month ago, I talked about this because I'm very passionate about it. If you ever write to me a message on Facebook, I will not get it. Why? Because I have Facebook, but I don't... In 2020, I've decided it's a good therapy for my faith to not listen to what other Christians say. Anyone else agree? I mean, like, one of my friends, he wrote a little Instagram, he says, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and all we have is Christians criticizing each other on Facebook. It's ridiculous, right? So I'm not going to allow some uh, pandemic behavior syndrome steal my faith. So I don't look at it. I just don't look at it. You know why? I'm not interested. You're a stealer. You're coming to steal my faith, pretending to be a Christian. Right? So I don't. I'm on Instagram. That's safe. I can look at pictures. All right? <laughs> so that suits me fine. And if you're still on Facebook, I'm going to pray for you in Jesus' name. Be delivered from that. Amen. I began to think about this. I thought about how social media is such a great thing, but such a destructive thing. I like what Mike Tyson said. Right? There, are, there are a few things that Mike Tyson said that I think are just genius. And... Uh, you know, I think one of the ones I read was everyone has a plan until they punch in the mouth. I thought that was fantastic. I thought the other one that I read just the other day was this. He says, you know, all of you people on social media have got really bold. He says, nobody there to punch you in the face. And, it's, and he was making the point that all these keyboard warriors are so bold to give their opinion, but they wouldn't do it in public because someone would beat them. That's what would happen, right? And I thought, good on you, Mike. I like that. You were my favourite fighter at the time before Evander Holyfield came along. And, uh, you know, I just think that's true. So, negative environment. Here's the truth. If I go out in the sun, tell me if I'm wrong. If I go out in the sun with my beautiful fair skin, right, and I stay in the sun in a hot Georgia day, is there any possibility, forget sunscreen, forget any of that, is there any possibility that I'm going to avoid sunburn? if I'm in the sun for eight hours. No. Here's the thing. If you've seen Chernobyl, the TV series, you know it's not possible to be exposed to radiation and not get radiation sickness. I, might, I hope that I'm not going to get it, but as true as I am standing here today, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get sunburned if I'm in the sun. I'm going to get uh, wet if I stand in the rain. And I'm going to have my faith stolen if I hang around with negative people. It's as true as that. You'll get wet if you stand in the rain. You'll get burnt if you stand in the sun. And so a negative environment. These are faith stealers. Another one is a neglect of our spiritual disciplines. We are like a leaky pipe. That is, we leak. We're not an object. We are a being. So we leak stuff. And one of the things that we're having leached from us is our faith. It's why when Jesus uh, talked to the disciples and the man who brought his son to the disciples and who was frustrated because the disciples couldn't cast out the, uh, the problem that was in their son, Jesus rebukes us, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. How long will I put up with you? Now, he wasn't really rebuking the disciples. That was a bit of a sideways hit, I guess. He was talking to the atmosphere. He was saying, listen, this world is so full of negativity, fear, and it's so full of uh, just criticism and all that kind of stuff. He says, how long am I going to put up with you unbelieving generation? What was he saying? He was giving us a clue. Eight days earlier, those disciples could do miracles. Eight days later, when Jesus had been missing for a few days up on Mount Transfiguration, they couldn't even do a simple miracle because their faith leaked. Our faith leaks. Therefore, we've got to stop it from leaking. Otherwise, we find ourselves... You know, it's amazing. I've heard this conversation many, many times. After about six months or 12 months or two years, you know, I just don't feel it anymore. I just don't feel it. I don't feel God. I mean, what do you mean you don't feel God anymore? God hasn't changed, right? I haven't changed. 
So why are, you say, why are you saying it's changed? Nothing's changed. You've changed. So it's easy for us to move to a place of no faith because we're constantly leaking. Our, our lives are constantly leaking faith. So that means you've got to replenish it. Like a water tank, we've got to keep replenishing it. Otherwise, we'll end up bone dry. Negative Christians, we've talked about that before, just before. Negative Christians are dangerous. Here's why they're dangerous. When you have someone stay at your house that you've vetted, it's like my kids, it's like Chloe and Nathan who live in our basement right now. I don't expect them to steal from me. It's a good, good assumption, right? It's a reasonable assumption. My kids are not going to steal my stuff, which makes me even more vulnerable if they're dirty, if they, if they are that kind of person, right? Because I'm not expecting it. I trust them. Here's the danger. We come along again, near Christians, we hear that they're a Christian, we instantly lower our guard because we should be able to trust them. We get into proximity and they start stealing our faith. Stealing our faith. Being negative, being negative, being negative. That's why I steer clear of negative Christians. Uh, talk to the hand. Oh, you, wanna, you, wanna, you got that? Okay, go see Pastor Nick. Right, because I don't want to talk to you about that stuff. It's not that I want to talk to you about your problems. That's a different issue. I'm talking about being negative. You know what I'm saying? Being critical, being cynical. Oh, speak to the hand. Uh, why? Because I don't want my faith to be plundered. I don't know about you, but I don't like being stolen from and I don't like my faith being stolen. Shame. That's the next one. Let's talk about shame. Now, shame's a real devious little mongrel of a faith stealer because it makes us believe somehow that how we feel really matters to God, right? I know what Martin Luther said, right? The great reformer, he said this. He said, how arrogant of us to believe that our emotional state means anything to God. What he was saying was this. He's saying, as if on day one you feel close to God, therefore God's pleased with you. Your emotions feel close to God, therefore God must be close to you. Then day two, you sin, you do something wrong, you feel bad, you feel shame, and on day two, you know God doesn't like you anymore. So then through shame, you start working your way back, crawling over broken glass, whatever you have to do, right? Paying penance, etc., etc., until your emotions feel rehabilitated and you feel a lot better and suddenly, oh, now I can go talk to God. And he said the folly of such an idea that your emotional state somehow changes an unchangeable God. As if God loves you less because you failed today than he loved you the day before when you did good. As if God cared more about you today, uh, yesterday than he cares about you today. As if God judged you based on what you did yesterday when he sent Jesus to, to die for our sins and, and, and we, as God looks at us, are righteous not because of our own filthy rags of righteousness, but because of His righteousness. We are the righteousness of Christ. So if I understand I'm the righteousness of Christ, I won't allow shame to box me in till I somehow feel faultily good about myself. I'll run back to God, say, God, I'm so sorry, but by faith I'm proceeding to love you and thank you for loving me. In fact, I remember hearing Joseph Prince say this once. He said, he said, I tell people, even when you're sinning and you're, sometimes you are and you know you are, just say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am under your grace and favour. Even while you're sinning, you'll be shocked at what happens. Because even though you may do it this time, what you are doing is you're reforming your nature. Your nature is being changed. Right? You are being sanctified, which is a good old word, sanctified. And you are finding that God is changing you. So shame is one of those things that steals our faith. Isolation steals our faith. And sustained pressure steals, steals our faith. When you're under pressure for a long time financially, you start to think about making all kinds of strange decisions, right? Because survival is so strong within us that we'll make all kinds of compromises when we're under pressure. It's amazing how many people promise to serve God when they're under pressure. God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. God gets him out. Where are you? Right? Because we easily make promises under pressure and faith can be stolen when we're always under pressure. We'll make a deal with the devil if we, get out, if we can get out of the problem, uh, if we're under it for long enough. So, 
What are some faith healers? Well, other faith-filled Christians are faith healers. Some of the, the greatest healing I've ever had is being around faith-filled Christians. I'm not talking about people who've got the name Christian. I'm not talking about the people that go to church. I'm talking about the people that go to church and are faith-filled Christians. Those people I want to be around, they heal me. In fact, I'm, I'm attracted to those people because something about what they say helps me. It reignites my faith. It puts back what society has stolen. It puts back what my shame has tried to rip off. It puts back into my life faith so I can go the journey, so I can keep on going. So other faith-filled Christians who speak faith and words of kindness heal my faith. What's another one? Praying in the language of the Holy Spirit. This is so underrated. Because even though we believe in it theologically, most people don't do it practically often enough. But let's read what Jude 1 says. But you, beloved, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God and build ourselves up in our most holy faith? By praying in the Spirit. The reason why it seems so mysterious to lots of people is the very essence of its power. It seems mysterious because it's supernatural. When I get the gift of the language of the Holy Spirit and I start to use it, I'm building myself up. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed in the language of the Spirit until I felt that faith return that had been sucked out of me by a bad situation, bad news, or an issue. And what do I do? I get up early in the morning and I just pray in the language of the Spirit. What am I doing? I'm shaking off those faith stealers Get away from me. I'm getting faith back in me. Why? Because without faith, I can't move mountains. Without faith, I can't please God. Without faith, I can't see miracles happen. Without faith. Jesus never commented on people's good works and he never commented on how hard they prayed. He only ever commented on their faith. Great is your faith. Weak is your faith. Don't you have any faith? Strong is your faith. Jesus is always interested in your faith levels. He's not interested in anything else. Why? When I say not interested, you understand. As a father, he's interested in everything. But he's really primarily interested in, are you a person of faith? Why? Just like if you hadn't been drinking water, I'd be concerned about your water intake because I know without it you're going to die. God knows that without faith you're going to be a weak Christian or you're going to forsake him. Remember what he said to Peter? He said, Satan has sought to sift you like wheat, but I pray that your faith will not fail and when you turn encourage your brothers and sisters so he's making a very bold statement that the enemy is trying to sift us like wheat to steal our faith it's a faith stealer so being a faith healer understanding what that means how do we do that faith giving preaching can i just say this that we need to be in a church we need to be in a place where there's faith preaching preached in other words i should walk out of church feeling like I just got my faith levels restored. I just got something that gave me the energy to go through the week. That's why I like preaching on faith because I was so weak in faith. It was one of the weaknesses. I'm so good in analysis. I'm such a good strategist. I'm a person who thinks and I'm logical and understand deep things. It was the thing I so got, but, but, but then in my heart, I'm not a faith person. I'm a figure it out person, strategized person. And I said, God, I suddenly realized I can't please God with my strategies. Right? I don't get anywhere with God, who's the one who's counting the books, with my strategies and my structures and my analysis. I only please God with my faith. So I've got to make decisions that are out of faith. And of course, faith has been taken to extremes. So then well, I'm just going to say I believe it. No, it's got to be a heart belief. It's got to be conviction. It's got to be rhema. It's got to come to me so that I can step out in it. But there's a general sense in which I've got to build my faith. Keep getting rich in faith because here's what James says. I want you to be rich in faith, which means you can also be poor in faith and you can be in chapter 11 in faith. And here's why I accumulate faith. This is why we've got to do it. This has changed the, way, the reason I do prayer fasting, reading my Bible. I used to always read my Bible because I'm supposed to. Because I think the Word of God is powerful and it's you know, dynamic. All those reasons. I pray because I love God and I need Him to help me. So I've got two reasons for praying. I love God and I need something. 
But the third reason I pray is because every time I pray and I break through to God, God deposits faith. Faith comes into my bank account. Now, why is that important? Well, because when I'm rich in faith, I can do big things. Think of it this way. If I'm rich in money, I can buy more. If I'm poor in money, I can buy less. Everyone agree with that, right? If I'm rich in faith, I can believe for more. If I'm poor in faith, I can believe for less. Just very simple. So if I want to go buy a toothbrush, it doesn't take me much money to buy that. I could buy that any day, any moment, any time. I feel like buying a toothbrush. I can go buy a toothbrush. But if I'm going to buy a car, I'm going to think a lot about it, right? And I can't just turn up and go, oh, I'm going to buy a car today. No, I've had to plan. I've had to save. I've had to save. Unless I'm so rich, I can do that in a minute. In a minute. So the point of being rich in faith is there are big programs and projects and obstacles and mountains that God wants you to climb and he wants you to claim and he wants you to defeat and he wants you to cast away and he wants you to overcome. And so he wants us to be rich in faith so when it comes time to do the big deal, we've got enough faith for those things to change. Otherwise, we're always buying an orange. Yeah, my faith can buy a banana. That's great. Well, God wants you to get beyond buying groceries for your life and start buying the big things that matter. Does that make sense? That's why currency helps us understand. Rich in faith means I can do more. Poor in faith means I can do less. I'll show you on a little bit later on. So, what's another thing? A life-giving church, I talked about that. Faith-giving, preaching, praise and worship. Here's another one. Being bold when I don't feel like it. The Bible doesn't say be bold when you feel like it. It It says be bold and courageous for I am with you. I've had to learn this. When I understood this word, when I understood the word boldness, it changed my understanding of faith. Because faith seems so ethereal. It feels like I'm grasping at the fog. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to get the fog. Faith feels like that. I don't know if anyone else feels the same, but that's how I felt. I feel like it's an undefinable substance. It's hard to define. That's why I spent my life studying it. It's hard to define. It's like grasping at the smoke. How do you get hold of that? Right? And, and so God took me through a process where, where he made me understand that one of the aspects of faith is boldness. When I heard the word boldness, I thought, well, I know how to do that. That's an action word. I know how to be bold, but I don't know how to be a person of faith. So I would look at myself compared to other people. And how many found themselves thinking like this? I know me, and I'm pretty weak. And they look so amazing. A bit like the Instagram story life, right? On Instagram, everybody looks famous and amazing. But in real life, their life is just average. So we live with ourselves, so we diminish ourselves. We don't live with that person, but they look full of faith. And so I said, God, I've got to understand this. I feel so weak. And God started to show me that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's not hope. Hope is one thing. Faith is built on top of that. It's a substance. We don't have time to talk about the seed today uh, in our message, but he started talking to me about boldness. So I know how to be bold. This is what God began to show me. I'm so careful by nature, though you may not believe that. I'm so careful by nature that I had to be, I had to convince, I had to renew my mind to the point was, to the, to the point was, I'm going for it. If I fail, I fail. I had to tell myself that because I would always wait for the perfect conditions. But he waits for the perfect conditions, does not sow. The farm that waits for the perfect conditions does not sow. That's what the Bible says. So I would do that. So I had to learn to be bold. So people would say about my life that he's a bold, tenacious person. People would think that about me. That wasn't who I was till I understand, stood that I've got to get faith because faith is my shield, faith is my weapon, faith is everything, and it's not just a nice platitude about a Christian that goes to church. It's a real powerful currency that changes the world. How else? Being ruthless with the atmosphere around us. Resists faithless atmospheres. Faithless atmospheres are your greatest kryptonite. Faithless atmospheres will destroy what God has put inside of you, steal it from you. Fasting. We don't have time to go into that today, but fasting is something that I believe gives you rocket fuel for your faith. Uh, proximity to God's Word. 
you know, listening carefully so it doesn't get stolen. I shared this at Gwinnett the other week, and I said, you know, how do I, the story of the parable of the sower of the seed is a parable about God with words, His word, and the words of faith. And your first soil is the hard soil where the word is sown, but the enemy steals it. The birds of the air comes and steals it. I said, I said to people, I said this, I said, well, when you're in church, understand this, when I'm preaching, God has ordained that the proclamation and explanation of the gospel would produce faith. Don't tell me why, God just decided that. He decided, the speaking of my word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, it's in the context of preaching, preaching the word of God produces faith. If I'm full of faith, if I've been praying, God takes what the little I have, like the boy with five loaves and two fish, and he multiplies it. So anyone listening to these words, whether on YouTube or Zoom or in the room, doesn't matter, God puts faith in them and deposits faith. But guess what? If their soil is hard, this is what happens. And see if this has ever happened to you. How do you know the enemy's stolen the word? How do you know that faith was stolen? Well... Church was great. You go home, you get home, someone says, how was church? Great. What did Pastor Ashley preach on? Hmm, can't remember. But it was a great day. On your way to the car, the birds of the air are trying to steal the word. So you've got to do everything you can to make sure that coming to church doesn't become an exercise in futility. Come to church, get the word. Get in the car, the birds have stolen it. I've got none left. I've got to go back to church again. And instead of it going deep and producing great fruit, there's a lot of people that just get the word, it tastes good while it sits on the soil, but before they got to their car, the birds have already stolen it. Which is why Abraham, when he's got the sacrifice of this connection with God and about to seal a covenant of blessing, the birds try to steal the sacrifice, try to steal the blessing. And what does Abraham do? He says, oh, okay, take as much as you like. Now he's like, get away from me, he gets a stick out and starts chasing those birds away. You've got to protect the word so it goes deep into your heart and produces. And when you see people that don't ever change, it's because the word goes in and it's stolen on the way out the foyer. We've got to make sure that our soil is soft enough and we can remember. And one of the ways that we, that we know is whether we can remember those things. Here's the thing we need to do, position ourselves to receive faith. I remember when I was sick, I took up basketball. Now, I'm too short to play basketball, but I was a very good footballer. And so I was, but I was terrible at, foot, at basketball, and I played basketball like a footballer. That means tackle people, take them down, uh, all the things that you're not supposed to do in basketball. But I had to do that because I was shorter than everyone else. And so, but I got fouled off. Anyway, I learned after a while. And I was unfit at that stage of my life. And I was playing with the, the young adult team of the church, and you know, I was used to playing sport where I would be either the captain or I would be a key player of the team and people would pass me the ball. And I remember asking them to pass me the ball and nobody passed me the ball. And you know, I was getting angry and frustrated and then I suddenly had an aha moment and a self-analysis moment where I realised, of course they're not going to pass you the ball, Ashley. Look at where you are. I'm struggling in the backcourt, breathing heavily, trying to catch up. They're already down in, the, in attack, in, in offence, of course they're not going to pass the ball to me, but I'm crying, pass me the ball, pass me the ball. God said, that's exactly how my sons and daughters are. Asking me to pass the ball to them, please bless me, please help me, but none of them are in position to receive it. I want to give it to them, but they're not ready to receive it. So one of the key factors in developing a life of faith is to be in the right, right position. You know, positioning ourselves for a miracle is the secret to a miracle. In fact, it's the only way anyone got one. If you read the New Bible, you read about Bartimaeus. What was he doing? Hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up, Bartimaeus. Don't disturb the teacher. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. What is Bartimaeus doing? He was in proximity and he was in position and he was going to make sure that Jesus could not walk by without giving him what he needed. Zacchaeus was going to stand at the back of the queue. He's a short guy and, and so he decides to climb a tree even though he knew it would invite ridicule or shame because he's a tax collector. He climbs the tree because he's got to get into a place where Jesus can see him. Proximity matters, right? 
uh, the four men with their crippled friend. They came to a church revival service. Jesus is in the house. The house is packed out. They go to the roof, open the roof, let the man down in front because they know that they stand at the back of the line. He's not going to get healed. We've got to get him into the presence of Jesus. Then he'll get healed. That's how it always happens and there is no way really around that. There will be even a time when the, when the centurion comes and he comes into the presence of Jesus on behalf of his servant and God does a miracle because of that man's great faith understanding of authority but it's still the same idea so let's talk about how do you know if you have faith how do you know if you have faith this is really important anyone like to analyze things or put up your hand if you like to analyze how things are going put up your hand if you just blindly wander through life who cares right no no one's going to put their hand up for that part here's the point so it's good to know if i'm got faith or not I'm going, to t- I'm going to give you a couple of things to know. So I love, I love to give people metrics so they can assess themselves, so they can do something about what they hear because the Bible says, don't be a hearer, be a doer of the word, right? And everyone in this room, when I look around this room, I'm going to just t- tell you something. When I look around this room, what I see is people with such ability and gifting from God. I'm not just saying this. I felt this in the beginning of the service. There are people in this room that are so powerful. At the, beginning, at the end of the last service, I met somebody on the way out, just started chatting, listened to their story, and were shocked. I'm like, you are a killer, but you're quiet. You're not saying anything, but you've got gifts and abilities. And I look around this room, you need to know God has gifted you in a way that's very potent. But you're never going to realize those amazing things unless you're filled with faith. Faith is the trigger. It's the key. It's the ignition. So how do we know if we have faith? Well, the first thing is the level of conviction in our confession. How convicted are we in our speech? You know, I've been talking to everybody in our church about becoming rich in faith, but I've been practicing it myself, right? Because the teacher always knows more than the student, so I had to research it first. So I know, I'm, so I've been accumulating faith. I've been accumulating faith, accumulating faith. Remember, I can buy an orange with a little faith, but I can't buy a car with a little faith. So guess what? If I've got big things I want to believe God for, I better accumulate and become rich in faith. That's God's plan for me. So here I am. So I'm accumulating faith, being diligent in my disciplines, being listening to God's word, etc., etc., etc. And not this week, but last week, uh, we came up against some situations. You know, we, uh, uh, we, there's lots of big things on the, on the drawing board for influencers, and there's lots of opposition against that, you know, notwithstanding COVID. I mean, COVID's wrecked most people's plans for 2020 and certainly wants to delay ours. And so we were finding, as I'm talking to banks and different things, there's this resistance. And on the beginning of last week, God said to me, just really clearly in my devotions, he said, Ashley, I want you to stop whispering faith and I want you to start roaring with faith. He, wants, he said, I want you to change the level of your confession. The conviction in your confession needs to be upgraded. So instead of kind of, God, I know you're doing this, I know you do this, I started to roar. My whisper turned to a shout and I began to speak over, I declare over this, this particular thing. I declare over this and the most four things. I declare over that, I declare over that, I declare this is God's will, I declare this is going to happen. doesn't matter what's happened with COVID-19, it doesn't matter what they say, it doesn't matter what's happened. Boom, I'm confessing those things because God, you sent them to me and I will believe it and the devil's trying to steal our faith but COVID-19 will not steal my faith. I literally started to get very aggressive in my spirit. I'm a very gentle guy, really. But I'm very aggressive when it comes to faith things because you've got to bust through. And as my confession raised, you know what had happened? I had five lending institutions last week approach us. After them all saying, we're in COVID. No one's, you know, no one's doing this. Everyone's, blah, blah, blah. It's just difficult. And anyone that's in business that's had to deal with banks in the last few months knows it's a challenge, Right? But I had five lending institutions approach us. We want to do this deal. This week I was on a phone call on, on a Zoom meeting with the head of the largest brokerage in the world this week. Largest brokerage. The South American head. The Southeast Asia head. The American head. All on Zoom. All meeting with us to talk about plans. That doesn't just happen. I just don't know. 
whether you know that that doesn't happen, but that doesn't happen, I didn't even arrange it. Some guy that I didn't even think had anything. But to be honest, he's an Aussie guy and I'm like, oh yeah, hmm. He's not a believer. I'm like, he's telling me he can do this stuff. I'm like, yeah, mm. In my heart, on my, on my face, like all of us. Yeah, of course, that's fantastic. Let's do it. Well, guess what? He pulled it off and here we are sitting with all these heavyweights of the largest brokerage firm in the world. Real estate brokerage firm in the world, right? So I'm just sitting there going, wow. This guy's, this guy, he looks like Crocodile Dundee. He shouldn't get anything, right? I'm looking at this guy. He's like, a, he's like, even in Australia, we wouldn't rate him, right? We're like, this guy's a country bumpkin. But he knows all these guys, what? And now you're my hero. I'm just kind of paying homage to him now. Oh, ye of little faith. Here's the thing. I'm declaring over these things. Then suddenly these things started to pop up. Five institutions started approaching us. We're now in engaged conversations with those people, right? If they're the right ones, it'll work out. If they're not, God will bring us along some others. Here's the point. God said, I want your confession to have more conviction. Your confession is too polite. Right? You're just saying two nicer things. It's time for you started to speak to the atmosphere. I declare that this thing will change. Last week's when I had the negotiations about the phase building. Right? I've been negotiating all year. But last week's the week I got the breakthrough on getting our Sunday afternoon services, which will turn into Sunday morning services later in 2021. Right? How incredible is that? To me, that's amazing. I know you're not excited, but I'm excited on the inside and the outside. I'm excited and I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. Here's the thing, the level of our confession. Now I want to read to you a scripture and read to you a, a chapter, not a chapter, but a few verses that you know very, very well. So let's read it together. Mark chapter 4. It's one of my favorite stories. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall, that's a storm, came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. We know the story well, right? Jesus, where was he? In the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Question. Don't you care? It was a question, right? Jesus doesn't answer the question, but Jesus stands up and rebukes the wind and the waves and says, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So it's all about faith, right? He looks at their response to the storm as a symbol of their faith, the state of play of their faith. It says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And this is the thing that God spoke to me. It showed me so clearly, so powerful. And, and, and it's this, when you don't have faith, you ask questions. When you do have faith, you issue commands. Right? Now let me explain it as some of us are analysing those thoughts. Does God care that we have questions? No. Jesus loved his disciples, but he didn't say to them, What? You still got no faith? Right? That was his response to their questions. This is what God showed me. When I have questions, this is again, remember, we're analysing the state of our faith. When I have constant questions and I have questions over areas of my life, it's a great sign to me that I'm missing something. I haven't understood something. I've not got something. You know, if a teacher is asked a question, that means the student doesn't know the answer, right? So when I'm always asking questions, it means I haven't got the faith that answers bring or the faith of answers. Jesus didn't have to ask questions. He had answers, so he commanded the storm. The disciples were always asking questions. And God said to me, he says, you know, when you are in an area of your life that lacks faith, listen to this, when you're in an area of your life that lacks faith, you will always ask questions. 
Now, does God get mad at us for asking questions? No, but it's a sign that we have no faith. Because if we had faith, we wouldn't have to ask that question, would we? If we knew what God was doing up to, and we knew that everything's okay, we would be able to command the situation, not question the situation. How this is so awesome, I shared this on Tuesday night at, at Worship Alfreda, I said, and it just dawned on me as I was speaking, it was one of those aha moments on the stage, as I was coming to the Salvation Altar Call, I said, listen, when you, don't, when you don't have answers to life, for instance, why am I here, what's God all about, what's life all about, that tells us that you don't have faith. Because when God fills you with Him, those faiths, those, those doubts disappear, Right? So I said, it's actually a good thing. So if tonight you've been asking yourself questions, why am I here? What's life all about? All those questions should lead you to a conclusion which says I haven't received from God my faith which gives me the answers. On that night, four people gave their lives to Christ and I had feedback from one of them today saying, you made it for the first time make sense to me. The reason I have questions is not just that I have a hole in my heart that needs to find truth. That's true as well. But the reason I don't I have all these questions is because I don't have faith. Faith is the answer to the questions. Does that make sense? Then when answers come, commands follow. So guess what? Instead of asking God, why, is that, why did we have COVID-19 this year? God, why, do we, why are we in the middle of a pandemic? God, why is this? I started saying, God, you're in charge of my life. You're in charge of this vision. You're in charge of your house. You're in charge. I'm just a servant. I thank you, Lord, that you, you said this is going to happen. So I started to command those things instead of questioning those things. Because really I do have faith, but I allowed something to steal my faith that brought about questions. Here's the thing. Who's ever met someone who's been a full-on Christian and then suddenly starts asking all the questions? Someone stole their faith on their journey that made them bereft of faith and now they have just questions. Make sense? I was talking to, uh, to someone the other day and they had been a pastor, they'd been in ministry, they'd done all this stuff and today they're not and, and, and part of the reason is because their faith had been eroded by what they saw behind the scenes and that had stolen their faith. Does that make sense? We've got to guard our faith. I still fly on an aeroplane, even though Boeing had a few crashes. Why? Because I still have faith. Make sense? You're very quiet today, which means you're either very studious or just shut up, actually, and move on. All right. Here we go. Are your conversations questions or are they commands? Second thing is this, the level of conviction in our actions. Faith is an action word. So there's a conviction of confession and there's the conviction of action. Remember what the Bible says, walk around the walls seven times and shout. If you shout, I will bring down the walls. Step into the Jordan. If the priest will step into the Jordan, Joshua, I'll part this flooded river. Walk into Pharaoh's palace, Moses, and speak. And when you speak, my people will go free. Take those five stones of my name and the giant will fall, David. Raise your staff, Moses, to the Red Sea and I will part it. Reach through the crowd, a woman with an issue of blood, to touch Jesus' cloak and you'll be healed. Climb the tree, Zacchaeus, and you'll meet Jesus. Climb the walls, men. Rip open a hole in the roof and your friend who's crippled will be healed. Fill all the jars from your neighborhood with oil until they're full and you'll have more than you need to pay the debts that your husband left you. Build a giant boat, Noah, and I will save your generation. Put the water into jars, servants, says Mary, Jesus' mother, and watch the water turn into wine. Hand out the fish from the boy with the five loaves and the two fish and watch it multiply, disciples. Dip seven times in the river Jordan, Naaman, and you'll be cured of your leprosy. Get into the pool and you'll feel strength come into your legs, you crippled man. Position yourself, cry out, deal with some mud in your eye, go wash it and you will see. Put yourself in a place of no return, Elijah. Just stand back, put water on the sacrifice, but stand back because fire's coming from heaven to consume the sacrifice. Go ahead and throw your nets on the other side, disciples, and watch what you catch at capacity. Bring your son to me because the disciples could
couldn't help you. Bring it to me and he will be delivered. Pray to the darkness, Paul and Silas, and watch the jail that's kept you captured and confined break apart and open. And you watch what takes place. See, everything that we're asked to do is an action word. I just think we should give Jesus a hand of praise. We should thank you because that's what he's wanting to say to us this morning. Come on. So here's the thing. I've decided no more sitting back waiting for COVID to be over. It's time to take aggressive action. It's time to move forward. It's time to confess with strength. It's time to speak over our campus, over our lives, over our family, over our neighbourhoods. And we start to declare We start to speak over them. We start to pray them back. There are people that are bankrupt in faith that need your injection of faith. They need you to make a phone call and start to speak Jesus into their heart and see a resurrection. A Lazarus is going to come forth out of of the grave that they've dug for themselves. You know what? There are people that you and I know that are bankrupt in chapter 11, poor, were rich in faith, but now poor in faith. And you and I, we have the Pfizer vaccine or whatever it's called now. We have what they need. This is what I know. I can't give away what I don't have. So I'm asking God, give me, I want to be filthy rich in faith. I want to be a a billionaire in faith. I want to be a gazillionaire in faith because when I am, nothing will be impossible to them that believe. Mark 9, 23, if you can, do you remember that the man came to Jesus? He said, oh, I came to your disciples to help heal this, my son and, and I couldn't. If you can, would you show compassion? And I love Jesus' response. We don't read it right. He says, if you can, it's not if I can. The question is, if you can. Read that story again. It's not if I can. If you can believe, all things are possible. Not if I can show compassion. If you can, he retorts back to the, to the Father, right? He says, if you can believe, all things are possible. And I just believe we're in that season. I don't want to wait to January the 1st to get my wheels out of the ditch. I want to start now and I want to start declaring over 2021 already. I'm not waiting for Christmas. I'm not doing everything by the calendar. I'm not going to wait till I feel suddenly better because January the 1st came and emotionally, mentally suddenly awake to a new year. I'm going to start to speak the new year in now. I'm going to declare it in for my family. I'm going to declare it in for my, my business. I'm going to declare it in for my finances, for my job, for my health, for my life. Because Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. I want you just to close your eyes because I want to pray for you. This is what I want you to do. If you say to me, Ashley, there's an area of my life, it, you know, and, and I think all of us, I have, you have, areas of our lives that are not as rich in faith as we want them to be. Whether it's belief about your children, belief about your future, belief about your health. I'd like to really pray for you that over this next few weeks, that over, we're heading towards Christmas and New Year, that you'd actually uh, accumulate faith and become rich in faith, that 21 would be the, the best year. What 2020 promised to be, 2020 will deliver to our lives. So if you're here today, every one of us has got an area. If you say, Ashley, you know, you're talking to me. I, I, there are some areas of faith I need a new level of faith in. I need, uh, I need it to get richer in faith. And you've been stirring me as you're speaking. I just want you to put up your hand. I want to pray for you. Come on, put up your hand. Okay, and I want you to keep your hand up. Maybe put up the other hand, just feel like you're putting your hands up to the Lord. I just pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for every person with their hands raised that says, Lord, I need more faith. Like the man said, who said, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, we cry out to you and say, God, we do believe, but we need to become richer in faith. That's what he was saying. He says, I have some faith, but I need more faith. Father, we have some faith, but Lord, would you increase our faith like the disciples asked. Increase our faith. Lord, make us richer in faith. Father, we pray for our families. We pray for our finances. We pray for our our relationships. We pray for our homes. And we pray in the name of Jesus, we speak life into them. We speak your presence and your power. We declare, oh God, that coming up to Christmas we'll have resolution of problems. We'll have an idea of what you're doing. We're going to break through the walls, overcome the obstacles. And in Jesus' name we declare, our confession will become a roar instead of a whisper. Lord, and our actions will be bold instead of timid. We pray it in Jesus' name. 